bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be alive and another opportunity to bring you glory. We know we are nothing without you and you give us life each and every day. We ask that you help us take advantage of it, live in your peace, and hear what your message is for us today so that we can bring you glory tomorrow, one day at a time. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who made all of this possible. He made peace possible forever with you. And he gives us this, this life that we can live in freedom without fear, worry, and anxiety. We thank you for the gift of eternal life through his blood. Father, we ask that you bless this message, guide us and teach us tonight through your spirit. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, peace be with you, part five. So I hope this uh, series has been helpful to you and um, maybe something to reorient you or refocus you on some of the places we need to be in our own souls. As we close this series this evening, the Lord's hope and prayer for you is that his peace be with you. That's a message that has been coming forth to us throughout this whole past week. Throughout this series and all the scriptures that he's taken us to, he's been equipping us to be armed with his peace, both in our daily walks and in spreading the gospel. So may we all be humble enough to follow his lead. Um, in my own soul, humility has, has resonated as being so important to accept his peace and to live in his peace. Um, we can be pretty brash or whiny children at times um, when the only way we're going to enjoy what he's called us to enjoy and, and, and follow his lead and bring him glory is if we truly humble ourselves before him each and every day and ask him to use us. So believe in his power and provisions. That's another message, including in his spirit that he's provided to us to give us peace and to give us strength and guidance. So turn in your Bibles again to Romans 8, 9. Uh, the first half of our message tonight will be largely review from Sunday, and then we'll um, finish up with some closing points and a little different focus. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we're promised new life, and we're promised the Spirit who dwells in us to be with us all the time. And again, this is just another source of peace that we should enjoy as we wake up every day with this reality 
uh, one evidence of the Lord's faithfulness to us, one of many, is the presence of his spirit within us. So he's in us, indwelling believers permanently and forever. And he's also promised to never leave us. So with this promise in mind, may his peace be with you. On the board in Hebrews 13.5 in the NIV, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's a great word, never, in this case, isn't it? Um, God, has, God has just laid down the truth and it's been fully accomplished on the cross. Um, his peace has been fully purchased for us. So he can say, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, because your debt has been totally wiped away. Remember, God forsook his son on the cross, so we would never have to be forsaken by him. You know, sometimes you, we may say in our heads, you know, why doesn't God forsake me? If, or if I do too much, if I go too far, he's going to turn away from me or forsake me. But that's the whole reason he forsook Christ in our place. He turned his back on his own son who was perfect so that he would never have to turn his back on us who believe. So we rest in that type of thing. That should give us peace in itself. So throughout this whole series, he's been telling us to step back and see the big picture. When you see the peace with God that he's provided for you, holy and forever, you won't have a worry in this world. And notice I said when you see the peace that God's provided for you. When, when we believe the peace that God has provided for us, that's when we don't have a worry in the world. So we don't believe all the time, unfortunately. But God's working on each and every one of us, and he gives us that one day at a time to accept his peace and live in it. His peace is to be received and enjoyed every day that he allows us to wake from our sleep. And don't take that statement for granted either. His peace is there to be enjoyed and lived in every day that he allows us to wake from our sleep. When you wake up in the morning, do you say, oh, I'm still here? Because he could have taken you that night. He, he, that doesn't matter how old you are, young people. doesn't matter. So if you wake up another day, you should not take it for granted. You should be like, oh, all right, at least one more, apparently. Let me, uh, let me give it over to him and, and live in his peace. Don't take these things for granted. Every day is it's, every day is it's, it's individual opportunity to glorify God, to live in his peace. They're all, separate, they're all like separate little lives, if you will. God letting us go to sleep at night and start over by grace. So regarding our gathering his peace, uh, piece by piece, so to speak, on the board, we are the ones that get in the way, that forget to ask for his help in the morning, who forget to simply say, Lord, I need you. I know you're with me. Help me with today's journey. That perspective is so important to start out with in the morning. To give it over to him, to humbly be before him and reach out to him and even ask him for his peace. The fact is the Lord is always there with us. 
whether we feel him or not does not change the fact that his presence is there and that he lives inside of us. But only trusting his presence will give us his peace. If there's anything we learned in this series, that's, that's a good summary statement. Only trusting in his presence, that he's with you right now, is going to give you his peace. Remember, he himself is our peace in Ephesians 2.14. So Sunday I shared with you another part of a daily devotional from the Jesus Calling book. On the board, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Uh, I think this was from May 19th. Although my presence, and again, she speaks from the Lord's perspective, okay? Although my presence is a guaranteed promise, that does not necessarily change your feelings. When you forget I'm with you, you may experience loneliness or fear. It is through awareness of my presence that peace displaces negative feelings. There it is again. It's through awareness of my presence, believing that he's with you. No matter where you are or what you're going through, he's with you and in you. It's through awareness of my presence that peace displaces negative feelings. Practice the discipline of walking consciously with me through each day. John 10, 28 through 29, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and Psalm 29, 11. Again, he's always with us. We're the ones who have to open our eyes of faith. Believe the truth of verses like this on the board in Psalm 29, 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Believe that truth every morning. Believe it. And notice strength and peace are given, which might seem to be opposites to some of you. But the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. So we start to look at things differently, hopefully. Maybe a new perspective for some of you on his peace. On the board, look at his peace, the very peace of Christ, as a weapon in your life. His peace can sustain us no matter what we're asked to go through in this world. It doesn't matter. Any type of prison situation could be literal, could be figurative. Um, any type of um, disagreements with people, uh, people attacking you, money problems, it doesn't matter. Like his peace can elevate us above it all, the peace that surpasses all comprehension. So we can just look down objectively at everything and be like, huh, it's actually kind of funny. If it wasn't me, it'd be funny. If it wasn't me in that situation, right? But seriously, you're able to rise above and look objectively and say, oh, well, it's only temporary. This is what's going on. This is my calling for today for some reason, and I'm going to accept it. His peace can sustain us no matter what. And the Lord himself embodied this peace. God's peace in a body. Perfect. He wholly relied on his heavenly Father for everything. That's why, even in his humanity, he had perfect peace. On the board in John 4.32, we saw that he said to his apostles, I have food to eat that you do not know about. That's an attitude he wants us all to have as his children. That's the heart. That's what he wants us to confidently be able to say. No matter what situation. doesn't matter. I have food to eat that you don't know of. 
you and I don't need worldly sustenance or worldly peace. We can have a supernatural peace when we follow him with a sincere heart, period, with a humble heart. So on the board, his peace sustains us. By faith, we can transcend the details in this world and have his peace sustain us in any circumstance. John 4.32 and Philippians 4.7 By faith, we can transcend, rise above, you know, the peace that surpasses all comprehension. We can transcend the details in this world and have his peace sustain us in any circumstance. I was again reading, uh, I just got through reading Proverbs, and in Proverbs 31 is about the virtuous woman. And I mentioned this last week, I think, but there's that one verse that says, she laughs at tomorrow. She laughs at tomorrow. What allows you and I to laugh at tomorrow? If you don't have God's peace, you're not going to be able to laugh at tomorrow. You're going to have anxiety about tomorrow. But the virtuous woman, in Proverbs 31, is able to laugh at tomorrow because she's clinging to the Lord for a peace. So this is one way that peace is a weapon for us as we go forward with him, both in our personal daily walk and in preaching the gospel. One of the main staples in this series has been the following, to help us build a foundation in our souls regarding his peace, uh, regarding righteousness and peace. Reconciliation means we now have peace with God through his Son. We have this peace because God, by grace, has made us righteous by his blood. So by now you see the relationship between these two things, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. With this foundation of reconciliation, we can stand in confidence each day, knowing our position of peace in Christ. And living in this peace provides us power, again, both in our daily walks and to spread the gospel. His peace empowers us because we know we're reconciled. There's nothing like really knowing and believing you're reconciled to God who could judge you and should judge you, but isn't going to judge you because he judged his son. On the board, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word, the word of reconciliation. Committed to us. When, when God commits, he doesn't, you know, he's not 99%. He's not like us. Where we're flawed and we can change our mind, for example. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. And we took a lesson from the Greek on the implications of reconciliation and, and what it means on the board from this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. The Greek words... For reconciled and reconciliation mean to change mutually and to exchange. To change mutually and to exchange. In other words, there are two parties involved in reconciliation or in coming to a peace treaty, a peace agreement. By necessity of the word, by the definition of the word requires two parties to change mutually 
or to exchange. So a key point from the Spirit was this, this past week on reconciliation. Our Lord paid our price for sin and extended the olive branch to mankind despite our guilt and unworthiness. Romans 5.10 So that was the Lord's part, thank God, that He was forgiving because He was the one that was wronged. Man's part in repentance, or man's part is repentance and faith in Christ. He must turn in his heart from sin and self and accept the offer of peace from his Maker and Savior. So man has a vital role in this peace thing. Even though we can't take credit and he's not doing anything virtuous, he's not the one offering peace, he's the guilty party. But in Acts 20, 21, that's man's part. To receive the peace offering of God through repentance and faith in Christ. So if the terms of a peace treaty are not accepted by one party, even though the offer is made, then there's no established peace between the two parties. So as we go forward and accept his great commission on our lives, which we've learned that's the main reason we're still here, is to live in the great commission. And as we pray about ways that he wants us each individually to spread the gospel, it could be different in a million different ways, uh, how he wants each of us to do that. But we're reminded of what to expect as we go out. The Lord commanded us to go out, right? In Matthew 28. What should we expect? Well, one thing we should expect is man's pride to confront us at times especially when giving the gospel. Man's pride is really the only thing that stands in the way of God's wonderful offer of peace from being consummated for each individual. Read Romans 1. So when we go out and obey the Great Commission, we should expect, you know, a little of everything. In other words, we definitely shouldn't expect it always to be a peaceful response, right, or a grateful response. We should expect anything and everything. And the negative responses are generally going to be involving man's pride. Saying, I don't need that, or I don't believe that, or I don't want that, or I'm good enough on my own. So expect it. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. Don't be disappointed, even. Go do your job. Give the good news of peace with God through Christ. And trust the Spirit to convict those that you do your right job with. Don't be surprised. Man's pride is really the only thing that stands in the way of God's wonderful offer of peace from being consummated. Um, it'll always be in this world in some degree, and we can just pray that the Lord humbles each heart. So our job is to share a simple and powerful offer, peace with God. It doesn't get much simpler. On the board, regarding God's provision of salvation, the whole idea was that God was offering peace to sinful man and blood had to be shed as a payment for sin. And by grace through faith, man could accept God's offer of peace on God's terms only, being the innocent offended party. Pretty simple idea. These are the truths, these are the realities that we are to pass on. And it is good news. It is the fact that the Almighty God 
the perfect one, the creator of heaven and earth, whom we've offended, has fully and totally offered us peace with him, despite our ugliness. Like, if we know how ugly sin really is, especially to God, like, we're offended when somebody sins against us, right? And we're a sinner. So almost like we, we understand the playing field or we experience it ourselves, right? Imagine being Jesus. Perfect, pure. Like, in other words, nothing has stained his heart. Nothing has perverted his heart. And the things that were cast at him and done to him, right? The pain, the pain involved with that, we don't appreciate. But that God who experienced that type of pain totally undeservedly, offered peace fully and freely. So that's the, that's the message that we pass on. That's reconciliation. Turn, turn again to Romans 5. Romans 5.1. So God is the one who reached out to us, remember. We didn't reach out to God. Some of you might think you did, but who's the one who put that desire in your soul? Where'd you get this conscience thing from? So keep that in mind. Nobody is good enough on their own. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank God. Romans 5.9 Much more then. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've received it once and for all as believers. So now, on the board, we help others receive it. doesn't get much simpler than this, folks. Why do we complicate it? A little child can live in the Great Commission. In fact, they do it better than most of us. On the board, when we witness to people, we're actually encouraging them to accept God's offer of peace and total forgiveness through Christ. The faith of a child. As Jesus himself said in his first words in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, humbly receive God's offer of peace. But as always, free will must be honored in God's system. Go to Colossians 1.19. We saw this on Sunday as well, Colossians 1.19. Again, we're just padding our souls with uh, the stability of reconciliation. Not only is it good for our own peace, but it's good to properly pass on the story of God's peace. Colossians 1.19 For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. 
And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Again in verse 22, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. That brings us all the way back to last Sunday, where a death is required for the assets in the will to be passed on to the, to the heirs. He's reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. And because he died, we now have reconciliation. And we'll go to Colossians 3.12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So this point came up on Sunday on the board regarding passing on his peace. He, God, offered you the sinner, peace. How shall you hold back offering peace to your fellow sinner who has sinned against you? It's, a, it's actually a ludicrous question when we think about it. Verse 14, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you see the calling? Do you see the, the, the answer to the problem that we face every day? Beyond all these things, put on love. It's perfect. It's the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Why are you not letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? Let it rule in your hearts. The Greek word for let rule means to arbitrate or govern. Arbitrate or govern. So in other words, let the peace of Christ govern or rule your heart each and every day. Let that be, let, let that be the norm of your spiritual walk and the measuring stick by which you live in Christ. Again, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Simple. The peace of Christ is the very fruit and evidence of God's love in you, according to verse 14. It's the result of you living in the sphere of God's love. And as came out on Sunday, Forgiveness came up in this passage, and forgiveness is really an offer of peace from an offended party, if you think about it. It's really an offer of peace from the offended party. It's the one who's not guilty offering peace to the guilty, although sometimes in our flawed lives, 
it's two guilty parties who need to forgive each other, right? Probably more often than not, if we're honest. But in general, forgiveness is offered by the one who was offended. And he's offering it to the guilty party. It's an offer of peace. So in this way, we can imitate God. We can imitate Christ. That's exactly what they did for us. Even even though they were totally without sin. Right? And they forgave us. We can't forgive a fellow sinner. So that's what the Lord came for. Peace and forgiveness. And that's what he instructed the apostles to spread as part of his great commission. Look what the Lord said to the apostles before he ascended into heaven on the board in Luke 24, 46 through 48. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What did he tell them to go preach once prepared? What did he tell them to go proclaim in this verse? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Peace with God is possible if the guilty party is willing to repent. If the guilty party is willing to humble themselves and accept the peace offering from the one who was offended. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Once again, simplicity, the simplicity of the call we have to to participate in this great commission. Go to Acts 10, verse 34. We are proclaiming peace with God. We are proclaiming (coughs) repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In Christ's name. Acts 10.34 Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Preaching peace Through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So there we see our role as ambassadors of Christ, who have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We as believers have received his reconciliation personally, and now our job is to help others receive it, to help others at least understand the clear simplicity of the message and how it is good news. Again, peace requires the agreement of two parties to be consummated. Uh, Turn to Acts 13, verse 38. And here we saw a warning about this on Sunday. A warning about the fact that two parties need to agree if the peace is going to take its effect in a person's life. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. 
Therefore take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. What thing? Verse 41, Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Peter was warning them. Listen, here's the message in verse 38. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is freed from all things. But don't be a scoffer. Don't be one of those that the prophets told us about, who shunned, who discarded this offer of peace from a loving, kind God. So that's also part of our message as ambassadors. As, as it was for Peter here. Tell people the offer of peace, the forgiveness of sins that's on the table for whoever believes in Christ. And then tell those same people, possibly, if the Spirit leads you, listen, don't be a scoffer. Don't be a fool. The Bible wrote about this thousands of years ago. Some people were going to snub God's peace, even though it's you know, described to you perfectly, clearly. So as we go out, as commanded in Matthew 28, the Lord equips us with his peace, just like he equipped the apostles 2,000 years ago. So as believers were equipped for the Great Commission with the gospel of peace, we saw this on Sunday, he doesn't send us out naked or empty-handed. He doesn't tell us to go figure it out ourselves and to um, you know, kind of give our own message or our own description even of the gospel. He gives us, he's prepared us in his word over and over and over the last two years. So the Lord has equipped us by grace with his peace, and his peace is a spiritual weapon for the spiritual warfare also that we will face. Again, regarding perspective on his peace, his peace is a spiritual weapon of great import. He designed it that way so that his plan cannot be fulfilled by our own will or power, but by standing in his peace, in Ephesians 6. This is a new perspective for some of us, that his peace is a weapon for us in the spiritual life. You might be thinking that's an ironic statement. How, how can peace be a weapon? Aren't those opposites? Right? That's what the skeptic's heart would say. Have you ever heard the statement, kill them with kindness? Kill them with kindness? Isn't that opposites? But we kind of know the point of that message, right? That's the idea. But we don't carry a worldly form of peace or kindness. We carry the true love and peace of God as our message. That's what overwhelms people, the truth, even the arrogant. And I think this is what the Lord meant when he talked about heaping burning coals on the head of your enemy. Does that mean God wants us to harm our enemy? No, not at all. He wants us to be kind to our enemies. He wants us to love them so much that their consciences burn. That's what the, you know, the, again, the heaping burning coals on their head means. Wondering why you're still being kind to them when they've been hating you when they've been dissing you, when they've been shunning you or even ignoring you, why are you still being kind to me? 
it's a supernatural love and peace that makes their conscience burn. And that's wonderful. And that's how, again, the peace of God is actually a weapon. Go to Romans 12, verse 14. Romans 12, 14. So we're using the power of his peace and love while sharing the gospel. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your revenge, your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Isn't that an expression of love? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. I know he just, you know, spit in your face or yelled at you or, or made you look foolish in front of others. Give him a drink. For in doing so, <laughs> give him a good drink, by the way. I was just thinking that would be funny you slip him a bad drink. You don't want to do that. If he's thirsty, give him a drink in love, in other words. For in so doing... You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right in the face of it. Right in the face of evil, in your face. Right in the face of antagonism and arrogance and man's pride. And some kind of attacks in front of others that make you uncomfortable. Right in the face of evil. Overcome evil with good. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. On the board, more perspective on his peace. Nothing reaches people or disarms people like God's love does. Amen? Notice disarms people. We're talking about a fight. We're talking about weaponry. We're talking about people that have weapons against us, figuratively or literally. And God's love disarms people. Romans 2.4, Romans 12.20, we just saw, and 1 Corinthians 13. You can read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 if you want when you get home. Uh, all about love and how powerful it is. Turn to Romans 2, verse 3, since you're in Romans. Romans 2, verse 3. Again, on the board, nothing reaches people. Or disarms people like God's love. So if some guy's being a jerk and acting like your enemy, give him a drink. Romans 2, 3. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? I mean, are you going to judge someone when, when you do the same things? Is that how you should treat your enemy? 
Is that how you should treat someone who's living in a sin that you can't stand when you just years ago were living in the same sin? But now because you, you finally, quote-unquote, got past that, and you see it as, as you should see it, as disgusting, now you judge them. Is that, <laughs> will you escape the judgment of God at the end of verse 3? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And if the kindness of God leads you to repentance, then passing on his kindness can lead others to repentance. Loving them despite their ugliness or their attacks, that can lead others to repentance. God's peace is a weapon. Again, part of our job as his ambassadors is passing on his peace. So in the irony of this spiritual battle that we're in, right, or some people call it the invisible war, our greatest weapons might be his love and his peace. God's ways are not man's ways. The world would scoff at that statement. But it's true, his greatest weapons and our greatest weapons as his ambassadors are his love and his peace. As people are antagonistic to us and even hate us in this world, we are armed with things that can totally disarm them. Why? Because they're supernatural. For you to have peace when someone punches you in the face, that's supernatural, right? That's supernatural. And that's why if you ever get in that situation and you're able to come out of it having peace and love for somebody, don't take any credit. That is supernatural. And claim the you know, power of Christ in you. Give him all the credit and watch God work. More perspective on his peace on the board. The gospel of peace can overwhelm even our greatest enemies if they're humble. The gospel of peace can do it. Our job is just to spread it, to explain it properly. The gospel of peace can overwhelm even our greatest enemies if they're humble. Any man, woman, or child can have the humility and faith to receive his peace. And we can fulfill the Great Commission by its power. Not our power. Turn again to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10, as we begin to wrap up this series. As we begin to close, notice I didn't say we're closing yet. If you're here Sunday, you know what I mean. Ephesians 6.10. Here's a picture of the spiritual battle going on around us and who we're really fighting. Who we're really fighting. This is another reason not to hate your enemy or, or um, attack your enemy back because they're not the ones we're really fighting in the flesh. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. When somebody attacks you in a disgusting way, do you stop and think, hey, you know what? Maybe they have a demon. 
maybe it is what verse 12 says. It's not against their flesh and blood, but it's against some kind of rulers and powers, world forces of this darkness. Maybe, maybe they're under demon possession or, or at least demon influence to attack you. Maybe they've been inspired to attack you as you spread the gospel. So why attack your enemy? They're not your enemy. It could be the spirits around them. So there's the spiritual battle. Now what do we do? In verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Even resist attacking your enemies back. Supernatural. Take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up all these things, put them all on. But for the sake of our discussion on the board, Ephesians 6.15 is our focus. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now this verse is actually quoted, you see how it's all in, in caps, most of it. That's showing that us that it's a quote from somewhere. And it's quoted from the prophet Isaiah, where, where peace with God was announced as part of the good news of salvation, even in the Old Testament. So turn to Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah 52, 7. Again, on the board, Ephesians 6, 15, having shod your feet, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul quoted Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of a person bringing good news. In any situation, but especially the good news. With so much bad news in the world, people are relieved when they hear there's a good message to be shared. We often see this sometimes as a reaction in the parks. You know, when you're sharing the gospel with people and sharing the good news, and you tell them, you know, we want to tell you about the good news. And what's the reaction? Oh, all right. Great, I need some good news. This world is, you know, crazy. What's the good news? Why? Because the feet of the person bringing that, you know, beautiful message, that's beautiful. It's good. People are craving this out in this lost and dying world. And so we're told in Ephesians 6.15 to prepare ourselves with the gospel of peace, which the Spirit has specifically been doing for us right now for the last two years at North Christian Church. Preparing, preparing, preparing. Preparing our feet, so to speak. 
So let me give you some other translations of Ephesians 6.15 in context on the board. Stand firm then, that's, that's how uh, verse 13 begins, so that's the context here. Stand firm then, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That's in the NIV in Ephesians 6.15. Stand firm then, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The more you understand the gospel of, of peace, the more you're going to be ready. Right? The more you dive into it, the more you accept it, the more you understand reconciliation, the more you're going to be ready. It's, it'll be second nature because you, you know, you know your God, you know his peace, you know what he's accomplished. Uh, also on the board in the English, st- in English Standard Version, stand firm then and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of given by the gospel of peace. So we have an analogy here, right? As shoes for your feet, just like you'd put shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Prepare yourself. It's a good analogy. For when we put good shoes on and lace them up tightly, we're ready to go, aren't we? Isn't that what we do when we have to go somewhere, especially a real trek? We shod our feet. We prepare our feet so we're ready and can be strong. And we can stand firm. Would you rather stand firm on a slippery rock with bare feet or with good sneakers? You know, you were going out into the world. So in the same way, we lace up our hearts with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Lace up. On the board. In the Amplified Version, stand firm then, and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Wonderful translation, isn't it? That should give you the impression of what we should be doing when we go out there. That's the kind of readiness and uh, firm-footed stability we get from the gospel of peace. Even promptness. When someone asks a question, we know the answer. Why? Because we prepared. Right? The readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. And peace is the foundation. So I went to the Greek on this passage, Ephesians 6.15. It basically says what it says. There's no mysteries in the Greek to be found, really. What you see is what you get. Prepare yourself. Bind your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The good news. Prepare yourself. So that when you meet people, it's a home run. Whether they accept it or not is up to them. But what you give them information-wise and the peace that you show and the love that you show is a home run. Because you've been prepared. So the analogy in this verse is perfect, of course, being the Word of God, as our Lord told us to go out to all nations and peoples. What did He tell us to do in Matthew 28? Go out, right? There's a literal traveling that's asked of us. There's a literal transport your body from A to B, 
go out and make disciples. In other words, carry and bring the good message of peace with God to others that don't know it yet. The traveling might be short distances down the street. It might be long, like a flight halfway across the world. But either way, God is asking us to travel for his benefit as his ambassadors, to lace up our shoes with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And how is he going to send us out if we're not prepared? That's why all of you that, that come on a regular basis, that humble yourselves before the word of God, are going to be prepared. Regardless of your physical abilities, your mental abilities, your limitations, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. If you've humbled yourself before the word of God and his spirit, you're going to be ready. So more on perspective on the board. The preparation of the gospel of peace is a weapon with which he has equipped us. He has provided us the shoes, the training, the knowledge, and the wisdom to lace up with as we go out into a lost and dying world, some of whom are literally waiting to receive the message of his peace from us. Do you forget that part? There are some people out there assigned for you to go up to at some point that are actually waiting. They don't know what they're waiting for yet, but they, they, there's something in their soul, the Spirit's been readying their soul to receive the message, and they literally are waiting for you to obey the gospel, to obey this call. I mean, and that's, that's, that's for all of us. We all have those wonderful divine appointments that are laying in wait, that, that, are, that God's preparing for us. And we should look at it that way. And that should not put pressure on you, by the way. That should make you be like a little bit excited. Because you know what? If God readies the soul, if God readies the soil, all you have to do is go water it, right? So what a privilege and honor that is. But again, on the board, to change our perspective, the preparation of the gospel of peace is a weapon with which he has equipped us. Look at it that way. He has provided us the shoes, the training, the knowledge, and the wisdom to lace up with as we go out into a lost and dying world, some of whom are literally waiting to receive the message of his peace from us, from you. We've just been given a good example from Pastor and Joey who put their lives and responsibilities at home aside to go out and reach people with the gospel of peace. So God has been preparing us all, both by his word and by example. He's like getting us ready for the big show, so to speak. In each of our lives individually even, he's made it clear. He's made, hasn't he made the vision clear? Like why we're here, what we're here for, instead of focusing on ourselves and gaining things in this world as though our life is our own. Hasn't he made the vision clear? Here's what you're here for. You're part of the Great Commission. You're, you have been commissioned. You have been called. So keep preparing, keep preparing, keep preparing. But he's opening up our ability and our vision to do things that we never thought we would or could do. Don't put yourself in a box. 
So I think it's appropriate to close this series with a verse that we started with in light of the simplicity of the calling on our lives. On the board in John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Any questions? That's it. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You are equipped when you have his peace. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity and privilege. We thank you for the truth that sets us free. And Father, we know that you can use us in ways that we haven't even imagined yet. We ask that you keep us humble, keep us obeying your word, help us receive your peace each and every day, and realize this is your plan and your life, not ours. Father, we thank you most of all that your son made all this possible, that he reconciled us despite our sin, and he wants to reconcile the whole world. And we thank you for giving us this ministry of reconciliation and letting us be a part of it. Father, we ask that you bless us each as we go and help us bring the good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.